You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, that was good. Usually I do it again, but it was good first time around. It's so good to uh, see you here this morning. My name is Luke, as Tracy introduced me. I'm part of the team here. And uh, a week... A week today, yeah, a week today, I think that makes sense. A week today, two years ago, I came back from Singapore. So the church that uh, Pastors Martin and Esther are at currently uh, was where I went out for ministry training. And uh, it's, it's quite significant, actually, that we're coming up to two years since I've been back. It feels like it's absolutely flying by. But that was the place where I was. God did a lot of my formation, incredible time out there. And uh, you can see, it's, it's an incredible church. They're doing incredible things. And uh, it's so exciting to see the Lord is building the church, not just here in, in Coventry, but across the nations. Amen? Amen. And that's so exciting. You will uh, probably know more than me of what is going on across the nations. But that is so exciting. I'm excited that the family of God isn't just here at CLM, but stretches right across the world. And uh, for me, going out there, that was a huge part of my learning. And... Uh, yeah, last week we uh, finished our five-week series, Passion for the Presence, as Tracy said at the start. And for me, it's been incredible. Who, who else has enjoyed the Passion for the Presence series? A few of you. If you didn't wave at me, I'm just presuming you weren't here, which is fine. <laughs> Don't worry. And um, yeah, for me, it's just sparked, again, a desire in me to pursue after God. I, uh, I encountered something of God's presence for the first time when I was 15 years old, just before my 16th birthday. I was away at a summer camp up in Manchester, and the only reason I went is because I wanted to find a girlfriend. Um, I didn't find a girlfriend, but I did meet with Jesus. And uh, amen, thank God. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more on that. But for me, I, I tasted something of the creator of the universe. I met with the incredible God, and I, in that moment, I realized I was loved. For the first time, I realized that this God who created the stars, who created the heavens and the earth, who created each one of us, that he sees me, he knows me, and he loves me as an individual. And for me, that was life-changing. There were some things in my life that weren't right that had to get sorted, but I didn't get met with condemnation when I entered God's presence. I met with the love of Jesus, and it totally changed my life, and it ruined me. Like Martin said, it ruined me for anything else. It changed me forever. I realized as a 15-year-old guy that there's nothing better than this. Either the creator of the universe is real and he's worth pursuing and his purpose is worth knowing and that I'm significant and accepted by him or he's not real and I'm going to run in the opposite direction. I'm not a man of halves. I'm not after my namesake, you know, lukewarm. I just don't like that. Neither does Jesus. So he wants us to be hot or he says, I'd rather you be cold. But I realize that and actually... Despite some of the challenges of the Christian walk and faith, I've found that there's nothing better than pursuing after the presence of God. Nothing better. And so when we do this, again, when we did this series, it provoked in me a, a passion for my individual pursuit in my own devotions to him. And part of me, part of, it's, it's not that bad, but it's a little bit bad. It's like, I don't care if you come with me or not. I'm, I'm going after him. So if you want to join me on this journey, if you don't want to be passionate for his presence, fine, because I'm going after him. And part of that is good. Part of that, not so good. You know, we, we've got like, we think of Hebrews 12 where we're exhorted to run our race, okay? Throw off everything that entangles, everything that hinders. And something in our head sometimes thinks, that means it's just me and God. 
just me and God. And so if the people of God are hindering me, I'm going to throw them off. I'm, I'm sick of church. They're entangling me, so I'm throwing them off. But actually today, I want us to understand that yes, individual pursuit and passion is good and it's right and it's important, but that the church is called to not run independently of one another. In fact, we're called to united pursuit of Jesus Christ. That actually, while yes, I'm passionate about him in my own right, I want you to come with me. I want this to be a place where we all push in and press in together. Because we are the people of God together in united pursuit. And simply, that's my title this morning, United Pursuit. Now, disclaimer, this has nothing to do with Manchester United pursuing them. I see a few fans up here near the front. I don't think you should be sat here, OB. No, I'm joking. <laughs> if I was doing this, uh, if I was titling this along with my football allegiance, it would be you'll never walk alone <laughs> to express my true footballing allegiance. But I thought choosing a title on that basis would be wrong. So I didn't do that. But yeah, my title this morning is United Pursuit, that we're called to go together. Of course, we have our individual lives and personal pursuit, but it is so important to understand that the Christian walk is not independent. And that can feel hard, it can feel difficult. You know, some of us would so just love it to be about our pursuit, like me and God are fine, but people are the issue. I understand that, where, there are, where there's people, there are problems. We're gonna explore that a little bit today. We, we would be like, I would be so kind and so loving and so patient if it just weren't for people. I would be fine without them. You know, you, some of us think, I would be like Enoch. I would walk so faithfully with God that he would take me up. But it's the people around me that are stopping me. And part of us, we can get into this mindset where actually, even amongst believers, where we, where we think and we get into the sentiment that they're not good for me. We can get so hurt. We can be in pain. People can say something and we're just like, ugh. That hurt me. And it can cause us in our flesh to recoil. And what we might naturally try and do is step back, step away. We're saying, okay, me and God are fine. It's just me and him. But the truth is, church, there's no lone wolves in the kingdom. The kingdom of God, we are one family. We are one body. And no matter how painful or how much of a struggle it might be, we are urged towards unity. God has broken my heart this week with a love again for the people of God. I struggle with this myself. I'm in church all the time. I get to first-hand experience so many awkward moments. But that's okay. Am I going to cause little comments or awkward moments to cause me to step back in my flesh? Yes, I would, but the Lord exhorts us to step closer, to hug the church, to say, you're my family. And today I want to talk about that. And my anchor passage is going to be from Philippians, but before we get there, just so we can see a glimpse of how close it is to the heart of, of God, is in this prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. Incredible. Incredible. Just before Jesus is going to the cross, we see what is so close to the heart of God. We know that Jesus prays all the time. We always get glimpses that he goes off to pray. We don't often get insight into what he prays about. But we see that Jesus here, he prays for unity. This is what it says. It's on the screen for you. My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus says. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me 
and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So here Jesus is praying for the disciples, but he's, he's praying for all those that will believe. So if you're a believer here today, Jesus is praying this prayer for you. He's saying, I want them to be one. Father, just as you and I are one. Wow. What sort of intimacy and unity is this? Has the world ever seen anything like it? I don't think so. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, he could have prayed for power. He could have prayed for better strategy. He could have prayed, Lord, help them with their building projects. Help them with their finances. But he says, Lord, I pray that they would be one. Wow. In Jesus' summary of the law, the great command of God, Jesus summarizes it in this. He says, to love the Lord your God and to love others as you love yourself. He summarizes the whole law on these two things. Do we not think, church, that God might be trying to say something about how important it is for the church, the family of God, to be united? And today, I want to explore that together. I want to look at the picture Paul paints of unity here in Philippians and look to the ultimate example of Jesus who made it possible. Is that okay? Is that okay? You with me? Awesome, awesome. Brilliant. So if you've got a Bible or a device, you can turn that. It's going to come on the screen, but I'll be referencing it throughout my talk. So if you would like to turn there, it would be helpful for you. It's Philippians 1, verse 27, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 11. Paul, in his writing to the church of Philippi, he says this. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, 
and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father and the whole church said, Amen. Amen. Incredible verses there. There's a lot to take in, and we have an incredible exhortation there, a, a quite wordy and weighty exhortation to unity there, based on the example of Jesus in his supreme humility. And today, I, I, I want us, as I've said, to see this picture that Paul paints of unity. And I've got some points that I want to draw out from the text. And so firstly, biblical unity, it is of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. It is of the Holy Spirit. Biblical unity, we see in verse 27 of chapter 1, he exhorts them to stand strong in the Spirit. Their foundation, the very ground on which they stand on, is God himself in the Holy Spirit. Paul is not expecting us to walk in unity if this is not our starting point. He makes this even clearer right at the beginning of chapter 2. You see it on the screen. It says, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So he says, what is this threshold for unity amongst the family of God? He literally sets the bar like here. If you came forward for communion today, what you're saying is, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and I, I've received some encouragement from it. Anyone received encur encouragement from being united with Jesus? And then he goes on, okay, if that doesn't cover it. If any comfort from his love, anyone being comforted by the love of God? Any common sharing in the Spirit? Any connection with the Holy Spirit? And, and Paul here is just saying, he says, I'm not saying this is if you've walked with the Lord for 40 years of your life. I'm not saying that if you have, have known God and, and seen miracles. I'm not saying... Um, this, if you have read the whole Bible and you know it back to front, I'm saying if you've experienced anything of the love of God, if you know anything of the Holy Spirit, if you have any compassion or tenderness, if you have any encouragement from Jesus, then this is for you. And this is our basis. There should always be an overflow of what we've received from Christ. Here Paul is saying, I'm not asking you to give out of something you haven't already been given. What Jesus has given us in encouragement and love, even if it's just a bit, I want you to show that to others. The Holy Spirit is the ground on which we stand. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, which is Jesus Christ. Why is it the unity of the Spirit? Because it's the Spirit within us, within you and within me, that testifies that we are sons and daughters. The Jesus in me sees the Jesus in you. I don't know if you've had that before, but I could have nothing in common with a person superficially, but when I know they're a follower of Jesus, something changes. I went to the other side of the world, people who had completely different customs and traditions. My roommate, he was from Myanmar, another one was from Taiwan, and we went there and we became brothers. Why? Did we have anything in common? No. Apart from we shared the same space. Me and my roommate, we both coughed in the morning. What, it, weird one. But apart from that, nothing. But what united was, was a love for Jesus and a life that was surrendered to Jesus. 
That was what united us. It was that we were both sons. We are sons and daughters together. We are in the same family. We have been born again into the family of God. Whether you like it or not, we are born into the same family. Why else is it called the unity of the Spirit? Because it's the Spirit that breaks down our pride. It's the Spirit of God that expresses fruit that allows us to be loving and patient and kind with one another. It is all Him. This is the foundation on which we stand. And if it's not this morning, then I'm not exhorting you to unity. Because it's a task that's going to be too much of a struggle. This unity that he's calling to us to, it's, it's deep. But it can be this way because the Holy Spirit has made us family. Regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of the language that we speak, regardless of our socioeconomic status, regardless of how uh, trained we are or what our academic background, we are family. In the same way that you don't choose your biological family, you don't choose the family of God. You can't. It's his sovereign choice. You might wish you could go through everyone here and be like, right, in out, in, out. I'm sure none of you would want to do that. But it's the Holy Spirit, his sovereign choice, and his sovereign work that makes us family together. Unity, biblically, is of the Spirit. You know, yesterday, um, some of you probably may have heard that incredible man of God, Reinhard Bonnke went to be with the Lord yesterday. Yeah, um, maybe I shouldn't have broke that news. Um, but we can rejoice because he's a man who was passionate for Jesus. And he's going to be rejoicing with millions of souls that he's seen brought into the kingdom of God. And just out of honor and respect, I, I wanted to bring a quote that he had. He's, a, got, he's an incredible man of God. And he says this, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. He is the bonding element. This bonding is a wonderful effect of faith in Christ. It is creative. It brings about a new kind of oneness, not even known in the closest of earthly families. Wow. A man that knew and was so sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit, who, who saw millions of souls, who had a heart that broke for people. He understood that the Holy Spirit unites in a way that the world could never unite. This is the work of God. I love what they do at Soul Survivor, a summer camp that we go to each year. People that respond to the gospel, they go forward to the front after they've prayed the prayer of salvation. They don't tell them this at the start, but they pray the prayer of salvation, and then they get the people that have responded to turn around and face the audience. And now they say, the bad part is, these are now all of your family. <laughs> Thousands of people that they've never met before, in that moment when they've said yes to Jesus, we become family. I want us to try and see this not as rhetoric. I'm not just saying this for the sake of saying this, but actually it's a reality that we can and should live and walk in. I have family here at this church. Not just my biological family, I have family. I could pull out different ones, different places in the world, but what unites us is Jesus. There might be some things that divide us, but greater is the one that unites. You know, when I think of this, I think of a, a story I heard about two incredible men of God. 
Um, some years ago, a preacher called George Whitfield, and then uh, the incredible John Wesley, uh, the, the founder of the, the, the Methodist movement. And uh, these guys, incredible men of God, both incredible teachers and preachers, um, but they held some really strong theological differences in their view of God, their view of salvation, in Christian perfectionism, um, in God's sovereignty, all the rest of it. Um, but they were united by the Holy Spirit. They were united by the fact that they loved Jesus, that Jesus had restored them and redeemed them. And, and uh, when Whitfield went to be with the Lord, uh, a, a reporter came to John Wesley and asked him, he asked him because he knew of their stark differences. They'd had debates, all the rest of it. And he went to John Wesley and he said to him, do you think you'll see uh, Whitfield in heaven? Wow, do you think you'll see Whitfield in heaven? A chance here for to kind of sneak into some disunity that they knew there were some things he disagreed with. And, and Wesley said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And the reporter's like, cool, this is going to be juicy. This is good. Disunity, I like it. And... Uh, and the report goes, why? And Wesley's response to me is incredible. He says, George Whitfield was such a man of God that he will be so close to the throne of God, worshiping with the saints, that I'm not sure I'll even see him through the crowd of people. Wow. A moment there where a reporter was trying to pick up on disunity, but he knew that what united them was of the Spirit. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there could be some things that divide us. But greater is the one that unites. That you and I, we are born into the same family and we are citizens of heaven together. Incredible. So firstly, unity is of the Spirit. Secondly, it is not superficial. It is not superficial. In verse 2 of chapter 2, here Paul proposes what this unity could look like. And he says, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Wow, that's not skin deep. It goes into the essence of our very being. The Greek word here speaks of intellect. But as we understand it from the context of how it occurred, Paul uses this three times. It's the word phronio. He goes, phronio, phronio, phronio. So he's trying to emphasize here that the unity that this is based on, because it is born of the Holy Spirit, because it is born of God, it is, it is the essence of who we are that unites us. It is not an exhortation to live as clones, but instead to have the same values and loves. And understanding between us that Jesus is my first love and he's your first love. That he is shaping my life and he is shaping your life. And understanding that together we want to pursue the presence of God. That together we're passionate for his presence. His spirit has made his home in us. And so I'm committed to walking with you as a brother or a sister. There is a depth to our unity. It's not based on our dislikes or likes. It's more than being gathered than just in one place together. It's, it's not just being in proximity and sharing the same air. You might think unity is not having any problems with people. But believe me, if you come in just after the service starts, so you don't have to say hello to anyone, and you leave, grab a cup of tea and get in your car, you're not going to have any problems with anyone. But does that mean there's unity there? No. You don't even talk to each other. 
How are we supposed to know? How are we supposed to engage with one another in a way that isn't superficial if actually our heart is to run from the people of God? This depth that Paul says should be present to make his joy complete should be reflected in our relationships. And here there's a challenge to us all. I've been challenged again over the last few weeks of, are my relationships just kind of superficial? Do we have authentic friendships? Do you have Christian friends or do you have friends that are nominally Christian, sorry, who, who you kind of, you know they're a Christian, but you do nothing together that puts Jesus at the center of your relationship? It's tough. It's a challenge. Do we pray together? Do, do your friends exhort you on and, and challenge the apathy in your heart? Do you ever talk about your struggles and your trials? Do you keep one another accountable? Because all of these things in serving one another, in exhorting one another, they're all things that put Jesus right at the center of our relationship. Some of us need to go, hey, I need to start again with you. If you've walked with a friend for a long time and you both know you're Christian, but you've never done anything that's remotely Christian together, it can be a bit awkward. Uh, Should we pray? (laughs) It can get a bit awkward because you've walked so long in, in a way that's, that's a bit superficial. You might have had some deep conversations, but when I'm saying it's not superficial, it means that Jesus is right in the center. The one who searches our anxious thoughts and anxious hearts. The one that allows us to be open and bring the dark things into the light. Christian unity is not superficial and neither should our relationships be. Some of us, we choose our friends because they keep us comfortable. We choose our friendships based on the fact that they won't challenge us, that they won't bring truth to us. I want friends that challenge my apathy. I want friends that are going to pull me up and say, Luke, that wasn't on. I want friends to be able to come alongside me and say, hey, how are you doing? Because you you look really disengaged today. I want friends that are going to spur me on towards Jesus. And sometimes we can, when you hear this, you can kind of think, wow, it's because this person isn't this to me. But I want us to take a moment to look at ourselves and think, what sort of friend am I? How am I engaging with people? For some of us today, we just need to hear, take off the mask. Take off the the mask, the The religious mindset, the Pharisee within us would want to come to church and put on a mask. We would love today to come and just be superficial and just pretend to our church family that we're all okay. Why? Because we feel like that's what we need to be. But when was the last time that you were vulnerable with anyone? When was the last time we were real with anyone? Man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. So actually, it's often easy to hide what's going on in our heart from people. But I encourage you, don't walk this way. You must be willing to show yourself without pretense or pride. I want this to be a community where we are willing to be real and open and have trustworthy relationships. Now listen, in in saying this, I'm not saying that it's necessary or possible to go deeper with everyone that you encounter. This is quite a big church. 
But we need to know what it feels like to be open and real and truthful. The church needs to be a safe place for people of faith to show their true colors and reveal their hearts and anxieties. I want this to be a place that you can be real. I want this to be a place where you can pull a brother or a sister aside and say, I am struggling. I'm struggling today. I'm struggling to sing this song because I'm walking through this. Unity in the church is not superficial. It goes beyond our worries. It goes beyond our anxieties. If we do not share the elements of who we are with others, who can pray for us? Who can speak to our personal issues with biblical insight? If we don't, then we're just left outside in the cold. And I, I, I would say to you today, if, if you don't have these relationships or you're not walking towards them, the same things that are going to stop you or hinder you serving and loving another in this, in this deeper and intimate way, it's going to stop you from loving the, the people of God well. Because we're always going to be false with one another. We're always going to be pretending and that's not going to be a united pursuit. That will be artificial harmony. For those that know me, you know I hate this. I hate artificial harmony. I don't always call out the elephant in the room, but I don't like it when there's an elephant in the room. But some of us, we just need to take off the mask to a brother and sister and say, I, I'm struggling with this. The unity that brings us together, it's not superficial, and neither should our relationships be. The very essence of who we are is family. That's what unites us. And we need to be a family that says, actually, even if you say this about yourself, what's deeper is the thing that unites us still. I'm not going to change my view of you just because you're, you're doubting in God. I'm not going to change my view of you just because you've fallen in this sin. I'm not going to change my view of you or push you to the side. Why? Because what unites us is stronger, and I'm going to walk with you in this because we're pursuing Jesus together. It's so important we catch that today. Unity is not superficial. And thirdly, unity calls the church to put us before me. It calls us to put the collective before ourselves as an individual. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. For authentic unity to take place, the church needs a posture of service to one another. A posture that values one another greatly. Does the Lord not want us to take care of ourselves? Of course he wants us to take care of ourselves. This is not what Paul is trying to say. But he's saying we can't hide behind our own issues and ambitions to the exclusion of placing others above ourselves. Humility esteems the good in others while recognizing our own struggles. Will you count others as worthy of your help and encouragement? Not are they worthy, but will you count them worthy? In the same way that Jesus counted you as worthy, will you count them as worthy? Will I serve? Will I take thought not just for my own interests? I understand, guys, it consumes us. It can consume us our weeks, the, the things that are going on, the things that await you to come. Maybe the family situation that awaits you at home, it can consume us. But today the Lord calls us on to more. 
Will I encourage and strengthen even in the midst of my desperate situation? When we are motivated by our own ambition and conceit, we will be driven by questions like, how can I be number one? What's in this for me? How can I get what I want? How can I come out on top in this situation? The Jesus way is that the last shall be first, that the least shall be greatest, that to lead is to serve, that the humble shall be exalted. And so we would ask, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I more greatly glorify Jesus through my life? You know, this has been a, a very real tension for me. I, um, at the minute, we've got incredi- some incredible folk on staff team. But two years ago, it was just me. The, I, I'm 23, and uh, Tracy is also 23, and Gabriel is also 23. Tracy was uh, 23, turned 23 yesterday. Happy birthday, Tracy. Hey. <laughs> Oh, there we go. We're family. You're getting it. You're getting it. <laughs> and uh, so when I was on my own, it's, it's fine because it's kind of like people are older than me on team, so there's not really any competition. But when Gabs and Tracy came on the scene, ho, ho, ho. And there's part of Luke, there's part of the flesh that thinks, these guys are my peers. And I love them, and great, I want to champion them, but I want to beat them. I want to be the best. And I I remember like a few moments where this kind of like, this came up in me. Where I was like, ugh, Luke, what is that? That's ugly. That shouldn't be there. And the way that I killed it, this this kind of selfish ambition, this vain conceit, I came to them and said, look, guys, I love you. This is is what I'm feeling. But I commit to you that I'm going to champion you, that I'm going to love you, that I want you to go further than me. Why? Is that the natural response? No. I would just keep that to myself. And just send Tracy the wrong thing so she messes up when she leads the meeting. (laughs) But that isn't the heart of God. He wants us to kill our selfish ambition and our vain conceit and say, how can I, I glorify Jesus more greatly in my life? You know, we see an incredible example of this in David and Jonathan. In the Old Testament, in in 1 Samuel 18, I'll read for you, it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul... Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. You know, we read there, the language echoes some of the language that we've been reading here, that they were one in spirit. The friendship between David and Jonathan was remarkable. They should have been and were really rivals for the throne. Uh, Jonathan was the prince. Rightly, it was his, but David was being raised by God, and they had every reason to be envious of one another and to hate each other, really, and to be in competition with one another. This passage was just after David had slain Goliath. Imagine the armies are celebrating someone else. They're shouting David's name, and then the prince is there thinking, this should be me. This should be me. What a moment for selfish ambition to creep in. Yet Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And we see someone in here, one of the things that I I learned from this bit of scripture is one way that I find, as I've mentioned, so helpful to kill my ambition is my vulnerability. And this is actually what you see of Jonathan. 
Imagine, he's gone up to his main competitor in this passage, and he's taken off, he's taken off his armor. He's taken off the things that identify him as a prince, the things that identify his prestige, and he's taken it off, and he's given it to David. And he says, in this moment, David, you could kill me. You could kill me with what I've just given you. I've taken off what identifies me as a prince, and I give it to you because this is covenant relationship. This is unity. This shows that we are of one spirit. I love you as I love myself. I'm not going to let my position or my prestige or my pride stop me from loving you well. And we could learn something from that moment. This David and Jonathan moment, do we ever give, do we ever come to the point where we're vulnerable with people to the place where we give them information and say, you could kill me with this? Are we so blinded by our pride and our position that we say, I'm not going to tell them that because they could kill me with this? Now listen, like I've said, I'm not saying that you need to share this with everyone. There's some things that I walk and journey that I'm not going to share from the pulpit just quite yet because I'm walking with people. The Lord is helping me in his grace each and every day. But church, if we're going to be united, if we're going to be one, then we need to learn something from Jonathan and David here. It left him vulnerable and exposed. Like Jonathan, God wants us to seek first the kingdom of God, not our prominence in it. When we yield our prominence for God's purposes, it is incredible. Nothing else quite images in the Old Testament this beautiful picture we read in Philippians 2, in the glory of Jesus. Jonathan did not consider the, th the throne a thing to be grasped, but for the sake of God, he made himself nothing and became a Christ-like servant. I want to encourage us, let us also have this mind. The final two points, really quickly, is that unity goes beyond convenience. In verse 28, we, we, we get a picture of what was happening at the church in Philippi. The church were being persecuted. Paul writes to them in chapter 1 of verse 28, verse 28 of chapter 1, sorry, without you being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, we read the account of the, the church being birthed in Philippi in Acts 16. Now, this was the place where Paul, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and where they sang, and the Lord shook the place where they were, and they were released. And then the jailer, who was going to kill himself because he thought the captives were gone, Paul says, no, 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 we're here. And this jailer gets saved. And the, the place where they were meeting was a woman's house called Lydia who had also got saved just before that. And so we can imagine, we've got the jailer. We can presume he's in this church of Philippi. We've got Lydia. We've got a few others that are mentioned by name. But actually, we can see, even while Paul and Silas there, there is some, there's some anger. There's some hatred towards these, these Jesus followers. So you can feel, you can imagine, they're scared for their lives. They're new to this whole faith journey. The great apostle is writing to them, in chains. He's in prison himself. One of their pastors, Epaphroditus, has nearly died. We read it later in the letter. They're anxious for him because he's nearly died. The pressure is on. And when the pressure is on, it's so much easier to default to our flesh reaction. Like it would have been easy for Jonathan to be dictated by his ambition. But unity goes beyond our circumstance. It looks above and beyond our circumstance. Will we still love others and acknowledge 
and receive the call to be united when sickness knocks at the door. When the pressures of life comes in, in the midst of exam season for some of us, when we feel afraid or anxious or when money suddenly becomes difficult, when it feels as though the pressure is on, the last thing you want to think about is someone else. I can't even begin to imagine what some of you guys are walking. But the truth is we're still exhorted to this incredible unity, to think of one another, to prefer one another, to love one another well. I understand this is tough and so often we get it wrong. God is helping me. As when, the, when the stress and the pressure is on, I struggle to love others well. But that's why I have to turn back and rely on my wonderful Jesus. Our lives and our joy, our love is not controlled by circumstance, but the, the solid foundation of our Savior. And so when the wind and the waves come, we stand on him. And so because our joy and our love is not dictated by our circumstance, neither then is our unity. We can still love one another well. Will it take the grace and the help of God? Of course. But this is what the word does. It challenges us. It calls us. It exhorts us on to more. And, and the Lord says there's a unity that's going to baffle the world. There's a unity that's going to shock the world. There's a unity that is going to change the world. And it's not superficial. It's of the Holy Spirit. It's born of me. It doesn't change in circumstance. It goes beyond our convenience. And ultimately, that's why my final point is that it's for the gospel. We read this in, in verse 27. This whole portion of scripture in an exhortation to unity stems from the call by Paul to say, live a life worthy of the gospel. This love you've received in Jesus Christ, the reason that you take the bread and the wine is because he has won you. He has paid everything for you. And to live a life worthy to receive this, he says, I want you to love one another. This horizontal relationship, this vertical relationship, sorry, it's not, you can't extract it from your horizontal relationships. We would love it to just be us and God, me, myself, and I, but the Lord says no. Jesus prayed for it. I died for it that you might be one, just as the Father and I are one. I'm going to invite the band up as I draw to a close this morning. For the sake of making Jesus known, the world will know us by our love for one another. Together we will be a people of his presence. Not ones that merely sing in one voice, but that are truly like-minded. That have the same love, that are one in spirit and mind. Church, God commands a blessing on this sort of unity. Cause the very blessing of heaven to be on this sort of unity. If we're going to do and step into everything that God has for us in this next season, if we're going to see a city changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to take more than a few. It's going to take a united body of Jesus Christ that declare his wonders, that declare his works to every generation. Church, I don't want to do it on my own. And we're exhorted not to. 
In fact, we're exhorted that we can't do it on our own. That God calls us to do it together. It's a high call. But CLM, we do well, but there is more. There is more for each one of us. I'm so glad this doesn't rely on me. What does Paul say that the secret is here? In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I've just pulled a few things out here. Incredible. Jesus, God himself, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient even to death. Even to death on a cross. He died the most awful death. And Paul says, have the same mindset as him. Serve one another's, serve one another in this way. Love one another in this way, in a way that is selfless, in a way that is sacrificial. This is where our humility comes from. When we stand before God and we feel overwhelmed by his grace and his love and his mercy, we stand in his presence and we say, How could I not do the same? Lord, for all that you've poured out for me, how could I not? Love. In this moment, I want us to take some time to reflect on what this might mean for us, for all of us. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, there, there will be some sort of application. Maybe it's that you need to reconcile. I understand that for some of us, there's, there's some things that are not in our control to reconcile anymore, and that's okay. But where it is possible, we're called to live in peace with one another. For some of us today, we know that we we need to draw alongside a friend and say, you're my Christian brother, and I want to start walking like it. I need to start opening up to you. For some of us today, we know we've worn a mask for too long. That we come with broken hearts, but we come with a big smile on our face and we walk in and out of church each week and no one knows in the family of God. For some of us, we just might need to commit to some deeper level of community where we say, I need to get in a life group because I just ghost. I know that I'm part of this family, but I don't really walk like it. I don't know what it is for you. For some of us, maybe we just need to humble ourselves before Jesus again. Can I invite us to stand here? I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes and, and posture yourself to receive the Holy Spirit today. Lord, we need your help in this. Jesus, we thank you that the one who had everything to boast of Jesus, you the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, you made yourself nothing. Lord, the one who had everything to boast of. The one who could have got down from the cross and destroyed those that were persecuting you. Lord, you you looked down upon them and you said, Lord, forgive them. Lord, may we learn from your love. Holy Spirit, we pray, would you come and minister to each one of us? We pray right now for CLM that this would be a place that is family, oh God. I pray for unity in the body of believers. 
Lord, right now I lift up every situation represented here where there is, where there is friction and fraction. And right now we speak the wholeness of Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord God, whatever needs to happen, would you, would you give strength to every believer? Lord, I pray for, for those that haven't yet known your goodness and grace. I pray that they might see something of your majesty today. So Lord, as we worship you, would you come? Would you speak to us? Would you minister to each one of us?